Hello everybody, uh, Happy New Year, and we are here for a new episode of PP Encounters, new team, and we have Wine and Kastrat, which has been the political science uh, lecturer and uh, professor here for us at Fu University. He was a PhD um, in Indiana, PhD candidate, and um, yeah, we have him. Do you want to say something? Well, good afternoon. Um, thank you for, uh, for inviting me. Um, super excited. Um, looking forward to field your uh, your questions. Um, to soak in all the friendly fire that uh, you're about to send my way. Um, looking really forward to it. So, okay. and there's two of you, right? There's yeah. two of us. Two of us and one of you. Yeah. Of course, two against one. Yeah. Mm. So we'll start first. Uh, what made you? Uh, be interested in political science. You say often that it's the one thing you're good at. Uh, when did you realize that was the case? When did you start having that involvement? Yeah, well, um, I guess um, when I started uh, undergraduate studies, um, well, I guess I was I was like you guys, right? We're interested in uh, um, in different uh, different disciplines, right? So at the time, I couldn't. Um, get into an interdisciplinary pro interdisciplinary program. So I basically put together my own interdisciplinary program. So I started out in my first year. Um, in um, I started um, with uh, taking a lot of political science courses, but also several courses uh, in classics. Right, so Latin, Greek, ancient uh, philosophy, uh, classical archaeology, ancient history. So I had to spend the first two uh, years basically accumulating a very broad uh, range of, uh, of, uh, of courses. I, oh, I guess I, I knew what I, what I, what I was ultimately um, what I was ultimately interested uh, in in politics, but for some reason I really couldn't commit myself to it yet. I just wanted to make sure that I that I knew that what I might. Uh, miss if I would follow through on uh, uh, on, uh, on on that, um, and yeah, I guess through through experience, um, I um, yeah, I guess became aware that uh, I wasn't that good in uh, translating uh, all these uh, all these texts in uh, in, in Latin and and, uh, and ancient Greek, uh, translating uh, them and uh, figuring out the you know. Um, the the, the 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 grammar uh it was very tough very uh very challenging um and uh that was that was a was a good uh, it was a good uh, lesson to really become aware of um of you know your um uh, basically your 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 skill set no regrets um i mean it was a quite of a uh, interesting uh, right gives you a very um broad perspective on um uh, you know what what scholarship uh, is uh, or different types of scholarship uh, is is is, uh, is 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 all about so yeah i guess uh, through trial and error i became aware that uh, i wasn't uh, good at anything else it's just just political science you know so and sometimes you need that sometimes you need a negative point of reference uh, but um yeah okay you said you read a lot of the classics is there any one of them that really impacted you and made you think about political science more seriously, perhaps uh, it could be uh, Machiavelli's The Prince that you're reading more. That's actually old Italian, but uh, maybe it could be Plato's State. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, I think, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that makes sense, right? So uh, in terms of my substantive interests, um, I, I, I guess there was... Um, um, you know Plato's uh, notion of of of, uh, of of regime changes, and uh, how you know democracy degenerates and becomes ultimately a tyranny, um, and uh, I guess that uh, that's something that uh, I guess in, 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 in informed uh, uh, the directions of my my, my research uh, um, uh, 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 later on. Uh, Thucydides made a, an enormous impact uh, uh, to, to me. Thucydides is typically treated as um, as, as an influential um, 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 a, a, a work for. IR uh, theory. The first but realist, right? Some would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. He definitely uh, approached it, uh, uh, the international relations from that perspective. But book eight is about domestic politics. 
Uh, so that's directly uh, relevant to what I'm interested in. Uh, so that's not something what uh, what 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 Tucídides is typically associated with. But he he talked about you know uh, the domestic politics uh, to internal strife, uh, the the breakdown of of uh, of of, um, of, 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 of of democracy. Um, you know, marking a very clear distinction because on on, on b- between on the one hand these beautiful speeches, but on the other hand, what really goes on? You know, in the in the background. You know, and I loved I loved that I loved that. Uh, that contrast and the, the linear way of writing right really presenting an argument this is what happened and it's it's a step by step as a reader you 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 have to plow through um his um his his his, his narrative to reach you know the the, the ultimate and in, inevitable conclusion of this 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 clash of these two powers but 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 also yeah um the um the, the the tensions the domestic the domestic political uh, a conflict that uh, that arises as a as a arguably as a uh, as a result yeah that's something that 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 did um shape my my uh, my, my interests as uh, as well yeah and you said you have now a, a, a focused on latin american politics is this uh, in some way related to how you would like to read uh, to Cyclides and Plato and like how democracy would go into downfall and like tyrannies like the one of Pinochet in Chile or others would arise from there? Yeah, it it it's um, it makes so much sense, right? Uh, um, uh, trace back uh, my, uh, my, my 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 research to my exposure to uh, to to uh, 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 Plato's, but also Aristotle's uh, version of uh, of of these the cyclical. Um, uh, political uh, trajectories but to be very honest um it um it 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 didn't at least it didn't as much as you as you'd um as you'd expect and i guess it's um yeah it was um basically a a blind spot of me that um for some reason i um um yeah treated uh classics really as a as a separate um, um, domain of my academic experience, right? So it was kind of kind of as an uh, as an escape, right? So in the morning we would translate um, love poems, you know, uh, and I would uh, you know escape. We're not, we're not so much in a, like a fantasy world, but in a world that is very 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 alien, uh, right? And then in the afternoon, you know, I would be taking classes on uh, on, on on war, you know, and institutions and and uh, the, the harsh political reality and all that. So it was a nice way for me to to add, you know, variety to uh, to my uh, to my um, experience as a as a student. And it was a wonderful excuse, right? So if I was busy, uh, um, if if I would fail to meet um, course requirements for one course, I could always tell myself, yeah, well, that's because I had to spend too much time. On, on the other program and the other way around so I could always you know <laughs> come up with a legitimate uh, e- excuse but it only it only goes so far right um, and I guess um, in the end um, yeah it it, it, I, the, the, it the, the 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 coursework um, and uh, and uh, the, the work that I uh, carried out it did converged on a on 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 the topic of domestic um, uh, politics, right? So in 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 um, my uh, classics degree, I ultimately picked ancient history as my concentration, um, and then um, yeah, uh, investigated uh, uh, the topic of uh, basically well domestic political conflict, right? So the breakdown in a cla- breakdown of democracy in classical events at the end of the fifth century BC. Um, and then um, the the collapse of the, the of, of Republican Rome, uh, and uh, that was really um, I guess a, a project that um, offered a, a strong uh, fit to my, my training in in, uh, in 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 political science, right? But it it wasn't about regime transitions, right, or, or regime cycles. It was about regime uh, transitions, but not about regimes uh, cycles, right? But uh, um, yeah, it so it, it converged somewhat uh, in the end. But um, that wasn't obvious to me when I, when I began um, when it began um, studying uh, at this. I expected that I would um, end up, um, yeah, uh, uh, researching something that um, um, is more directly uh, uh, related to uh, linguistics and literature studies. Uh, but it, it, it didn't end that way, right? So it, um, yeah, it was basically. Um, 
um, more oriented towards um, political science, political history, and ancient history than um, the initial reason why I picked um, this uh, this route, this interdisciplinary uh, um, uh, combination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I had a, a short question about uh, the current political situation in Chile, where they. Uh, a couple months ago, during our political institution course, uh, they promo- uh, they proposed a new constitution, which was denied in the referendum. But it was the current constitution is, of course, still uh, designed sort of by Pinochet's regime, and you can see it in the voter voter per distribution per capita between the conservative vote and the socialist vote, average voters power. Like, how do you see this, like, currently, how are they going to change the Constitution to be actually accepted? Because there is a will, a public will, for a change of the Constitution. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a very, it's a puzzling, uh, puzzling uh, and tricky s- situation uh, for several, several reasons, right? Uh, so, um, it's... Um, I guess a, a situation that, um, that 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 really calls for a, a reconsideration for uh, the role of you know collective action and collective actors, uh, right? So back in two thousand nineteen, when these protests and uh, riots, this wave of contention uh, emerged, the political parties, or none of the political parties, were able to capitalize on this. This um, um, the, uh, the, the, all these, these 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 grievances that were expressed. So none of the political parties emerged from that wave of contention um, as, a, as 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 the political actors that re- that could really benefit from this um, uh, politically. So across the board, all these political parties they failed. But in the end, um, well, this whole push for a new constitution it failed too because. The, the cause was lost during the during the referendum, and it has, of course, everything to do with well campaigning, right? And what you need to campaign, you need organizations to campaign, you need collective actors, right? So these collective actors, they do matter, and the political right, it's still there. You know, they still exist in in Chile. In fact, they're quite uh, uh, powerful, uh, and not in spite of democracy but exactly as a result of the democracy or to me more precise because of the t- tip the, the 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 particular form uh, that democracy uh, took in the wake of the uh, transition to uh, to a democracy in 1990 so tell us a bit more about that you said not in spite of democracy but as a result you are researching now about uh, the effect that democracy has in uh, uh, well letting its um, adversaries have more power grow more powerful um, yeah. could you explain us because it's a bit counterintuitive for people that uh, study at the basic level of political science yeah yeah thanks for that uh, and please stop me because I can literally go on for hours right um, so I guess there are two um, two two um, ways to uh, to to approach this. So let me start um, what what uh, what others have uh, have done. Right. So others have focused on the institutional legacies of dictatorship. This notion that these powerful minorities that are in power in any given dictatorship. So think of the military, landowners, wealthy landowners, right, industrialists. Uh, they often they exit dictatorship on favorable terms and they do so by means of imposing a constitution that combines democracy and the popular component of uh, democracy that revolves around ordinary people's participation in democratic institutions uh, primarily through elections with excessive executive constraints right so institutional features that protect and advance the interests of powerful minorities, especially those minorities that were in power in the previous dictatorship. So this can take the form of, for instance, well, a strong Senate, right? A institutional body that can simply block legislation that commands wide support uh, among ordinary people, right? So you could vote in parliament in favor of, let's say, a enormous policy reversal, right? But that will be blocked um, by minorities or at least um, uh, groups that are numerical minorities in society but whose voice 
gets amplified uh, in these uh, in, in these institutional bodies, right? So this is an extra check that was um, well imposed on on Chilean democracy by design. This is not some some uh, it's, it's not a bug. It's actually a feature that the the, uh, the authoritarian elites left behind to make sure that the transition away from dictatorship and towards democracy would not be consequential. Would basically not matter for policy, right? It was basically a way to make sure that um, a d democracy would uh, not pose any challenge to the entrenched interests of these powerful minorities. And you see that across uh, across the globe, and Chile is a, is a clear example of that. Yeah. So you can see the path of dependence of the policy set by the old authoritarian industrial or military right that they enforce a certain uh, will so their interests are uh, generationally protected but then we also read in Sweden that it was also an elite biased uh, democracy but they eventually transitioned into a, a more social democracy how did they manage to do that compared to Chile or the Netherlands yeah fantastic point fantastic point and it, that's invariably the direct result of collective action, right? So ordinary people's capacity to pool resources and coordinate their activities, which is by far the hardest thing to do in politics, right? Um, you know, collective action is the stuff that politics is made of, right? So in um, Chile, sure, um, institutional path dependence makes it hard uh, to affect any uh, changes, but it is possible, right? It is possible if ordinary people manage to, well, um, resist, um, organize an enormous uh, movement of, uh, of resistance and, and sustain those disruptive activities, which is, of course, what happened uh, in the fall of 2019. And the same uh, applies to Sweden. All right, Sweden too was subject to an enormous wave of of uh, of, of, con of contention, social movements uh, that um, yeah posed a uh, a real uh, challenge uh, to um, uh, to those who benefit from these so-called elite biased features of, uh, of 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 democracy. So in the end, it's it's basically people power. Um, nothing can stop um, ordinary people as long as they act um, in one voice uh, as long as they um, are able to pull resources, coordinate activities, right? It's more people, more power, right? But it is hard to do, of course. It's hard to surmount these uh, collective action problems. Um, so um, it, um, yeah, it, um, I wouldn't say all bets are, 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 are off, but uh, th those who, who, uh, who benefit uh, from these uh, features, they will fight back, you know, they will use their capacity to, uh, to, uh, to, to, um, eh, or to organize uh, uh, and sustain um political activities uh, to make it uh, harder, not uh, impossible for you to, to pu push, uh, push through your preferred changes. So in the end, it's, it's um, yeah, it's all about, it's all about political power, uh, right? And I guess that's, uh, that's where my contribution um, uh, uh, comes into play, you know, where does power, where does power come from? So how uh, do um, ordinary people, how are they able to at some point solve their collective action problems, but also how do these collective actors, once they emerge, how do they become stronger? Or also the other way around, right? So ultimately, what, 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 uh, what determines why some collective actors become weaker or why they, be, why they are... Um, why and why it is the case that it uh, that they are sometimes uh, severely weakened or eliminated even worse right uh, and uh, well from my perspective that has everything to do um, with the form of government and uh, not just uh, the form of government but also the exposure to that form of government right and that has everything to do of course with time right with the temporal dimension of causation so in my research what I do is I compare um, countries in terms of how much experiences they accumulated with various forms of government. So I look at um, the um, historically accumulated experiences with democracy and with dictatorship, right? So from that perspective, I, uh, I, 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 I argue that in these, uh, these levels of uh, exposure, exposure they, they, they determine uh, how 
strong collective actors are, and also how many collective act actors that there are in the first place, right? And um, yeah, um, I um, argue that uh, it uh, it carries uh, serious implications, not just for um, the 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 institutional features of of, of democracy, but also uh, for the resilience of democracy itself. I still don't understand why dictatorships, exp exposure to dictatorship can be positive for a, a democracy in the future. Um, it's something that just like I cannot fathom, I cannot really uh, yeah, understand because uh, from uh, from very little they, they tell you that like democracy is the way and like everything has to be democratic. So I, yeah, could you explain that a bit further? Because Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Um well, let's take Spain, yeah. right? Um, so there's a, a, a pretty much a, a consensus uh, about the, the ingredients uh, for the success of Spain, right? So Spain in mainstream political science um, is, is still uh, treated as a poster child for successful democratization, right? So Spain for decades was ruled by a military dictatorship, right, by the Franco dictatorship. The dictatorship collapsed and Spain underwent a exemplary transition to democracy, right? So that's basically the, a, a mainstream account. So why, how can you explain this, right? So if you look at um, mainstream political science, there's one important ingredient and that's the orientation of the collective actors that became part of the ruling coalition, meaning the set of political actors that are necessary to create and sustain the regime. So that involves these powerful minorities that were part of the Franco dictatorship, but also these opposition forces who were, of course, weakened and repressed during the dictatorship, right? So both these outgoing authoritarian elites, as well as opposition parties who were left-wing, right, so the, the outgoing right-wing authoritarian elites and these left-wing opposition parties, they both developed a normative commitment in favor of democracy and also de-radicalized in the sense that they um, uh, were, um, were open uh, to, um, to compromise, right, so they were willing uh, to um, accept policies that um, that they essentially disagreed with on all sides, right? So that's that's the mainstream account. So then, as far as I'm concerned, the question is why, right? So why did these outgoing authoritarian elites, these right-wing elites, why did they de-radicalize? Why did they um, became moderate political actors? Why um, did they start to, to, to harbor this, uh, this uh, normative um, uh, commitment to democracy and um, why this is also the case for opposition parties. And if you, um, if, if you follow through on the um, theoretical and historical accounts that have been uh, offered as to what explains this reorientation of all political actors, well, all these accounts, they point towards the experience of living through the dictatorship, right? So it was um, um, accumulating first-hand experiences with living under a dictatorship that elicited a um, normative commitment to democracy, right? So because these actors um, all of a sudden um, were handed a negative point of reference in the case of opposition forces, that these opposition forces became aware that once democracy would be what would what, what, what return, that it would be essential to keep democracy intact because we don't want to experience a dictatorship again. So what do you do in order to, 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 to make democracy viable? Well, you have to make sure that your opponents are willing to accept your policies when you, once you're in government. That means that you should, well, be careful, right? So uh, you should uh, consider the preferences of your opponents and incorporate some of them preferences rather than uh, plowing through these institutions to get everything and leave nothing for, for your uh, 
for your um, for your uh, for your opponents, right? So that's one, let's say, um, mechanism that might um, um, e- explain why. So what about these authoritarian elites? Well, um, guess what? Uh, they worked very very hard to severely weaken, if not completely eliminate, their left wing opponents. So by the time that democracy. Um, or by the time that 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 uh, the the the, uh, the dictatorship broke down, and these elites were negotiating a a transition towards democracy, um, at that stage, well, the the left was so weak, not just um, not 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 only de-radicalized but also severely weakened, that it would severely diminish the stakes of political conflict. Right, so not only were your opponents no longer fundamental opponents because they were no longer radical, right? So they accept, they accepted, uh, they started to accept basically the 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 uh, the, 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 the principles of, of of capitalism, right? Not only that, so not so there wasn't not only a change in preferences, but even if they would disagree with you, they're no longer that powerful anymore, right? Because you repressed them for decades, right? So once these authoritarian elites became aware that the stakes of, of, of politics would remain low, even in the absence of, of authoritarian institutions, uh, or even in the absence of their preferred dictatorship, right, that the stakes of politics would remain low on a democracy, there is no point of being radical and being radically opposed against democracy. Right. In fact, you could introduce all kinds of institutional features, which makes it even more difficult for your opponents to get their way. Right. So, if you put t- these two together, I'd say that um, dictatorships leave behind all kinds of legacies—not just institutional legacies, but also organizational legacies. Right. So, the the, the, the organizational capacity of, uh, of of powerful opponents of um, of, uh, of of these uh, authoritarian uh, elites. Um, yeah. So, but t- taken t- uh, together, these 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 legacies, they yeah create uh, conditions that make it more likely that um, democracy will um, will remain stable. Really interesting. So, finally, like to synthesize, it allows for a peaceful transition and it uh, allows for a stable democracy. The downside, I would say, would be that in, as in Chile, uh, the political and economic elite uh, will be benefiting of course, from that status quo. Right? Absolutely, right? So the result is utterly dysfunctional democracies, democracies that don't carry out policies that command broad popular support. Instead, you'll end up with policies that only strengthen and protect the, the interests of powerful minorities. Absolutely, right? So these are empty democracies. But democracies nonetheless, if you take these mainstream conceptual uh, definitions of democracy. Yes. Is this a problem looking forward uh, for the demo- de- democratization of the West, for for uh, a downfall of the democracies of the West, these uh, hollow democracies, you could say? Yeah. Well, that, that's the other side of the coin, uh, right? So, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for well, for two reasons, right? So, um, first, um, these dysfunctional democracies, they will only. Um, only strengthen feelings of political alienation, right? This sense of political empowerment. So we have free and fair elections, but what's the point, right? Because all these institutional bodies, they continuously block the things that we really uh, want. So it will um, only expand uh, the pool of citizens who are fed up with institutions upon which, uh, well, collective actors can draw upon. Uh, to uh, to carry out their uh, authoritarian ambitions, right? Uh, and then, of course, it's um, well. The um, we've been discussing exposure to uh, to authoritarian institutions. Of course, the other side of the coin is exposure to democratic institutions, right? So, as these uh, democracies remain in place, ordinary citizens, as well as the collective actors that they create. Well, they become they become better at exploiting those democratic institutions, right? So, um, all political actors across the board will will grow stronger, 
And as they grow stronger, the stakes and intensity of the competitive struggle for political power only becomes higher, which in turn, um, well, uh, weakens um, collective actors' uh, um, uh, support for uh, for uh, for democracy. Right? It uh, it raises the stakes of of competition, uh, which in turn may endanger uh, democracy, especially as you can draw upon an ever expanding expanding pool of um, of, of, of active but alienated citizens, uh, and um, yeah, I guess that's what we're seeing uh, seeing right now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, I think you have a fair point because if you look at the French demographics in the the last parliamentary and presidential elections, you could see that the young voter turnout was very low. Oh, I'll open it up. Okay, test. Um, so my question again, um, you were talking about uh, that more. There is more apathic behavior with with, uh, with voters, and I can especially see that within France, where young voters are turning out less and less. Uh, but they do say that to play the game of democracy, you have to keep playing generationally. How do you see this? Because France, to me, is like one of the one of the one of the beacons of democracy in the West. Yeah, yeah, uh, that makes a lot of a uh, lot of sense. Um, so again, there are two two uh, two ways to approach this, right? So, uh, so first the alienation part. Um, yeah, I, I, I completely um, I completely agree, right? So I do think that um, um, political alienation has has increased over time, and that has everything to do not just with. Um, these dis these dysfunctional features of uh, of democracy, uh, especially in 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 light of the constraints imposed by the European Union, right, which is an elite biased democracy by design, right. Um, but it's also the case that um, this feeling of political empowerment is not something that is exclusively, let's say, um, externalized to political institutions. You could feel politically empowered. Um, as it uh, pertains to your own actions, right? So in that sense, uh, I'd say that um, over time, people will see that um, collective action is not only only um, uh, possible, but that collect collective action is uh, also effective. But the big question is, right, effective inside or outside institutions, right? Um, because what democracy does do it does empower ordinary citizens and it does uh, empower collective actors right because over time you b simply become um, better at exploiting the freedoms uh, that are real right so the freedom of association the freedom of assembly the freedom of speech uh, you can exploit these uh, these uh, these institutional features that are associated with democracy to strengthen your organizational resources right so in the end i do think that um, ordinary people and well, these 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 collective actors, like labor unions, political parties, social movements, but also movements with uh, and, and collective actors with with with, with less um, uh, and, and weaker um, democratic orientations, uh, uh, including the ones who who are willing to use political violence, that um, that they become stronger as a result, uh, and um, that they also benefit uh, from a, um, a greater pool. Of, of, of people that feel more empowered as far as their own actions are uh, concerned, right? So if you combine alienation with respect to political institutions with a feeling of self-empowerment, then you've got an enormous resource um, that uh, uh, political actors who want to exploit institutions in order to destroy them, right? So political actors that either operate outside of institutions and use a political violent uh, politically violent uh, activities to uh, to uh, impose uh, um, um, their own dictatorship uh, basically or collective actors do who uh, who embark upon the well yeah let's say the, the 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 electoral and parliamentary route to dictatorship right so collective actors who become very good at exploiting free and fair elections uh, to um, obtain access uh, and uh, direct uh, uh, control over the power and resources of the state in order to impose their own dictatorship, right? And you need ordinary people for that, right? You need people power. So in order to mobilize them, you need uh, uh, to have um, uh, enough people who 
um, think that they can make a difference, but you also need uh, people who are um, not satisfied with these existing institutions, right? So you need activist people who are also alienated with respect of these of, of these institutions. And I guess what we see um, in these long-standing democracies, um, that particular combination, right, of, of this sense of, of, um, of, 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 of empowerment, right, so higher degrees of political activism, but not necessarily political activism that is channeled and that it uh, channeled through and operates within existing political institutions and democratic institutions in particular. So it, this either takes the form of ordinary people uh, uh, joining uh, organizations that want to get rid of these democratic institutions or political activities that operate outside of institutions and are therefore, uh, by virtue of operating outside institutions, inherently disruptive. Mm -hmm. So democracy gives us rights, gives us freedoms, but could we say that in exchange, uh, us as citizens have certain duties of engaging in uh, collective action, peaceful collective action to ensure these uh, uh, peaceful democracies uh, can um, be upheld and maintained uh, throughout time? And uh, how would this peaceful collective action look? Yeah, yeah, fantastic question, right? So. Um Democracy is not a paper tiger, right? So for sure, democracy concerns a set of political institutions. And political institutions, by definition, are enforced, right? Otherwise, they would not be institutions. Right? Rules are enforced by, by definition. Once they're no longer enforced, they cease to exist. And the enforcement of institutions necessarily implies the organizational capacity to impose costs upon those who break the rules, those who transgress these institutions. So the question is, who are these collective actors who enforce institutions, who impose costs upon these rule breakers? Well, there could be the state, right? So the state is perfectly capable of punishing those who break the rules. Uh, we all know that, you know, once you... Uh, exceed some kind of speed limit, um, the chances are that uh, you'll receive a, a, a speeding ticket, right? Uh, and a speeding ticket imposed upon you by the state, right? Um, but what if the those who control the state are simply unwilling to um, instruct the state authorities to do exactly that, right? Well, that's not game over yet. It's also the case that social movements, all kinds of non-state collective actors, have grown so powerful that they are able to punish those who transgress democratic institutions. Today we'd call that cancel culture, right? So if you look at Dutch democracy, it was a direct result of cancel culture, right? It was an enormous wave of contention, a strike wave that forced the oligarchs into submission, or at least the at least the, the latent threat they posed uh, that 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 uh, that all kinds of um, non non uh, non state uh, uh, um, actors posed against these, uh, these 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 powerful oligarchs, right? So they basically cancelled the elites at the time uh, and forced out an important concession, right? Universal suffrage, right? Um, if you look at um, all kinds of regime transitions in Latin America too. They are associated um, with mass resistance, and in this allows for the enforcement of democratic institutions to um, uh, to be, uh, let's say, uh, to to be carried out by all kinds of non-state actors. So it's all about uh, who is powerful and who is willing and able to enforce democratic institutions. And if not, if it's not the state, then that's not the end of the story could be the case that all kinds of non-state actors can can jump uh, um, in. Um, it could include the military, right? So in France, we know that that the military is a member of the democratic ruling coalition, right? So the spa the um, the French Fifth Republic um, was created um, and sustained by the French military. If it wasn't for the goal, if the goal didn't ensure that the military would unite that a civil war um, if, 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 the, the, and, and prevent a civil war, right? Uh, the Fifth Republic would simply not exist, right? So having the military on board and led by the goal 
who was a Democrat, uh, made an enormous difference. So the big question is, you know, to what extent is the French military still a member of the Democratic ruling coalition? And what will happen, if so, what will happen if it leaves the ruling coalition? And I'm worried. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, several retired military officials, they circulated a letter in which they warned for a civil war in, uh, in, in, in urban areas in France, a letter that was immediately endorsed by Le Pen. Right. So there are signs uh, that politicians, they take the military seriously. Right. So they pay attention whenever such a letter circulates. Um, and um, they also pick sides. Right. And I'm very worried about that. Absolutely. Um, it's getting bleaker by the day. Um, and yeah, this concerns a longstanding democracy. And that's no coincidence, um, at least um, as, as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, I had another question about France, but then regarding the European Union, uh, uh, France uh, still has a certain uh, neo-imperialist hold on West Africa, and it's fading away. And uh, how do you see this affecting the European Union as France is becoming one of the major players in the EU with their, with their southern bloc? Yeah, fantastic question again. Um, well, I'd like to um, uh, a, a draw upon uh, upon um, existing scholarship here uh, here uh, here here as well. Um, so, in this case, uh, I think um, a very useful um, starting point is that um, well, the European Union uh, is primarily meant uh, to offer these. Collect collapsing uh, European imperial powers, an alternative, right? So as these uh, imperial powers collapsed, you know, one by one, um, integrating the remaining bits of these imperial powers uh, in the form of um, uh, in, in the form of the European Union became more and more uh, more and more necessary, right? So. Um, uh, the co coexistence of strong EU institutions and a highly integrated um, um, political and economic system on the one hand, and on the other hand, the um, declining um, power of each of these individual states on the world stage, also as it pertains to their links uh, to their former colonies is no coincidence. I think it all makes sense, but it doesn't make sense um, in, in, in ways typically advanced in mainstream accounts. It's, it's not so much um, the, um, uh, the 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 the, the um, uh, well. Let me let me uh, let me uh, rephrase. It's it's the European Union that was that was. Um, Created in response uh, to imperial collapse, um, and I think that's a that's a useful um, starting point because it, it does um, it reveal uh, the, the 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 reality that uh, these European states that they never operated in a in a vacuum, right? That it reveals this notion that there is no such thing as a as a nation state, right? So these European countries were either imperial powers or they were fully integrated in what we call what we call the European Union right so this this myth of um, of, 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 of you know, the, the strong and independent nation states I mean it's uh, it, it's that it's a it's 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 a myth but it's it's a myth that persists in public discourse unfortunately yeah so do you say do you think the European Union has any role any relevant role in world politics now is it fading away and the importance and the power of the of Europe, the old world. Um, what do you have to say about this matter? It's a question some PPE students would uh, would want to be answered. Yeah, it's an absolute necessity. Absolutely, um, without the uh, the um, the integration uh, of these uh, of these economic and political systems, it, the the constitutive uh, components will simply. Um, Will simply uh, disappear, right? So it's a matter of of survival of of uh, of of, of, of um, organizations that we call uh, states, 
right? So it's uh, it's kind of a it's 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 a, it's a lifeline uh, for the um, uh, political and territorial integrity of the, 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 these 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 member states. Absolutely, um, but there's a, another aspect to this, and that's I guess. Um, what you could uh, refer to as domestic politics, right? So the uh, political institutions um, that uh, define the European Union. Um, and one way to um, ap approach this is in terms of the level of democracy, right? So these, and we already talked a bit about this, right? So the so-called democratic deficit of the European Union, political institutions that strip democracy from its popular component i mean it's there it's there by design right it's it it's there to carry out policies that would um not um be be uh, be feasible politically um if democracy would would revolve around popular participation in in politics um in ways that uh, that um that make a difference in ways uh, where the stakes are, uh, are, um, are, 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 are high. And that, I'm afraid, I is unsustainable. Um, and uh, you see it left and right. That is something that uh, um, will um, require uh, a, um, a complete uh, overhaul. Uh, it will require an enormous jump uh, in the direction of, um, of, 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 of democracy. Uh, it will require... Um, making sure that um, these executive constraints empower any given minority rather than strong minorities, right? Rather than the privileged few, the wealthy, right? Um, and um, the, the, the big um, question uh, is um, which political actors will be more successful in doing so, right? So you can weaken executive constraints, um, but you, 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 you can do so, but, but um, um, driven by an undemocratic spirit, right? So you could severely weaken parliaments and judges. Uh, and we see um, that happening in, um, we saw that happening in, in Venezuela, for instance, or in Turkey, right? Or in Poland and Hungary, right? So that's one um, change away from what you can call elite biased democracy and in the direction of an, ele an electoral dictatorship right um, so that so that there, there's a there's a real um, risk that uh, opposition against the European Union uh, that that will be the most successful uh, form of opposition against the European Union but there is an alternative uh, and um, that's um, reforming executive constraints in such a way that, uh, well, like I said, uh, will empower any given minority rather than a a particular um, a type of minorities, right? The the the, the wealthy, uh, and that's that's up in the air. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I am worried about uh, I am worried about that. Um, yeah, well, it's something to look for. Perhaps something we can work as PPN students uh, towards the future and um, to improve the political institutions of the European Union. Uh, tell us something uh, more about um, your uh, um, impact in um, labor unions. Um, you have some experience in this aspect as well, right? Yeah. So um, I've been. Um I've been in, uh, involved in, uh, in, uh, um, in, in, in activist politics uh, for a bit now. Um, there's a lot going on in, uh, in, uh, in academia. Um, work has become more s insecure. Um, teachers, they work harder for less. I mean, you see that across the board, uh, you know, housing market, uh, job market, uh, and the same applies for the academic jo job market. Um, so again, a solution here is uh, is collective action, right? That's uh, by far the most uh, effective way to affect uh, uh, changes, and, and it's 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 happening everywhere, uh, right? So, 
Um, yeah, here uh, at VU2, um, we've had um, several meetings and conversations uh, about um, well, figuring out so what, what's what, what's what's really going on here, right? So is it is it is it just me, or is it is it something that is happening uh, across uh, across uh, the board? And what are we going to do about it, right? So there's a ton, tons of things that we can uh, learn from from similar uh, activist uh, um, uh, groups. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but collective action remains difficult, right? So um, yeah, um, uh, we were um, able to, uh, to 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 learn a lot from established um, uh, groups here at uh, VU. Uh, so two labor unions who. Um, who reached? Uh, who reached? Uh, who reached out? Uh, so what we're doing now is, yeah, uh, focusing on a, a particular uh, strand uh, in in uh, in the full labor force, uh, and that's the, uh, uh, the the enormous amount of, uh, of of teachers who are here on on a temporary contract. And there's tons of stuff going on. I mean, it's um, it's it, it, the situation is really unsustainable. I mean, the job market, academic job market, has imploded several years ago. About the time when I arrived here in Holland, well, probably before. You know, it's uh, yeah. It, it, I, I, I'm still shocked about about how um, how how dire the situation has uh, uh, has been. I mean, we love to teach, but there's o- only so much that you can uh, do. I mean access to the housing market coupled with job market insecurity it's carrying people away left and right you know and you don't you don't want to have that right uh, so um, you, you probably experienced that uh, um, a lot of a uh, lot of the teachers that uh, that uh, taught your classes in your first first year a lot of them are probably no longer around right um, that has happened yeah so uh, we see we see that's a as an issue and uh, we see the only way of actually um, Tackling that problem is from below, right? As uh, any democratic uh, institution should be done, right? Uh, democracy and democratic culture is done from below and then upwards. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I, I agree. I mean, there's tons of going on among among students, right? So I think. Uh, um, it, it, it's it, collective action also involves reaching out uh, to like-minded groups, right? So I don't think uh, that it's in anyone's interest if we if we pit uh, students against teachers. No, we ha- we, ha- we have we have we have common goals and common interests, uh, and it's it's happening. Um, uh, it's happening across the board, left and and, and, and right. Are interesting uh, developments uh, uh, going uh, going on where both uh, uh, teachers and and uh, students join uh, join forces. Uh, and um, uh, seek uh, seek uh, these these changes that are uh, that are uh, necessary to, to make this sustainable because it's not it's not for students it's not for teachers and to me personally it's a it's a it's a very it's a very great surprise that that professors and students are struggling so much even though uh, a couple of years ago we had a new system which came from which changed from scholarships for everyone to loaning money on a very low interest rate or no interest rate. And they said they promised that a lot of money would go into academia and they showed it transparently. But personally, I went to UVA and VU and I don't I don't f- feel such a difference from my brother or my father, father and mother who went to university as well. What? How do you see this? Yeah, well, um, did you see the beautiful new buildings that they built and the restaurants where you can get fancy paninis and your latte and all that? So money, the, the money's gone somewhere, right? Um, but it's in the end, and I, I'm not sure if, if this what you, you what's what you're getting at. Uh, it's um, what you want is a is a good quality education, and that requires enough teachers, teachers who are well equipped, right? So you want um, the classes to be taught by those who actually conduct research, um, and you want um, teachers uh, who um, who have enough time uh, to prepare properly enough time to field your uh, questions and who are not so tired uh, that they um, um, experience a burnout and ultimately leave academia. That's what um, 
presumably is in the interest of uh, of of, um, of 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 a good education, right? You want, don't want to scare away um, uh, teachers, and um, it's the the, the way. Um, the, the, the budgeting works, and it's 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 a uh, it's it, it's co- complex. But right now, it's not reducing the workload, right? So the funds that have become available, they are used to reduce the burden of those uh, academics who are primarily engaged in research, and with that money, they essentially hire teachers who primarily work in teaching. Right. So overall, it doesn't guarantee that any given teacher um, will have a teaching load that is that is uh, that is doable. Right. Um, there's some talk of of of, uh, of of change, but it's it's uh, it's long overdue. Right. Um, so that's one one side of uh, of, of, of 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 the the coin that should complement. Um, your experiences as a as a as a student, but like I said, um, I guess both students and teachers they they share uh, common uh, common goals, right? And uh, I do think that um, um, the the root of the, the problem is is um, is identical, right? It's one one and the same problem. That's the the way money works on campus. Do you have any more questions? Perhaps uh, I only have one short question. Is uh, why come to the Netherlands? Because you, I think you have Dutch roots, correct? And uh, but you first taught in America, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, I spent about let's see. So I started teaching there in 2016, and uh, right until 220. Yeah. So I, I spent four or five years teaching in the United States. Um, I mostly did so um, while I was in grad school. I was uh, as as I was pursuing my my PhD degree, and in two thousand twenty, in the midst of Corona, I came back uh, because I was born and raised in in Holland and did my undergraduate uh, work here um, and uh, completed uh, my master's de- uh, degrees before um, I moved to the United States to to pursue a, a PhD, um, and. Um, yeah, so I guess your question is why? Why did I? Why, why did I go back? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, Corona was a was a was a big factor uh, there, right? So in the United States, um, speaking of budgeting, uh, you know, those in charge they can uh, introduce a ten percent budget cut across the board, right? So from one day to the next, any given institution on campus on campus can can lose ten percent or or if not more uh, from the budget, right? So that means that. Um, uh, those who who uh, um, are on a temporary contract, I mean, they're the, they're the first ones to to uh, to, um, to to lose their jobs, right? And it was competitive in the first place. I mean, academic job market in, in Europe is competitive, but so uh, that's that's the case in the United States as uh, as um, as 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 well, right? So in that sense, um, I. Um, I I end up uh, basically where uh, the, the 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 market wants me to, uh, to 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 end up, right? So then I um, applied here. I think it was uh, my one hundredth application, right? Uh, that I that I sent to Vu, um, and uh, yeah, got the got the got the job. Uh, I think two yeah, it was two years ago. Um, so yeah, I guess if you I was born and raised here, right? So it makes things uh, easier. Uh, to go back to the country in which you lived uh, for, uh, well, in my case, uh, about thirty years, uh, you know. So it was um, uh, kind of a my 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 go to uh, uh, country, and uh, yeah, no, all these uh, immigration issues. Uh, it's uh, it's quite an administrative burden, I can tell you. And uh, you know, each year you're stressing out whether you know you'll have uh, the right uh, forms and the right sources of funding uh, to um, to postpone your immigration status, right? So that's stressful as uh, as well. And then you know, having to move around, it's uh, yeah, it uh, it's a bit of a, a bit of a, a challenge. So I guess Holland it, it relieved uh, at least some uh, some of these. Uh, some of these uh, uh, things. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, now the last thing I would like to hear is uh, 
what um, is the the future looking for you now that it's like still January? Do you have any anything that you would like out of this 2023? Anything for the future? Any research that you are interested in doing uh, in the next years? Something? Yeah. Um, so I always um, I always like to um, uh, keep academia with me, right? Um, if necessary. Uh, in a way, I, 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 I'd consider leaving academia, but I guess not so much leaving academia, but taking it with me, right? Um, so the good thing about um, a, uh, uh, academic training is that these, 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 these skills are broadly applicable, right? So this not only concerns, um, you know, analytical uh, skills and, and um um, how to how to how to produce an argument, but also things like data analysis skills, like quantitative methods, programming, coding, applied statistics, right? So, if necessary, I'll um, take advantage of uh, of those skills and um, and, and uh, put them to work outside of academia, right? Um, so, yeah, it could be um, like a a data analysis, uh, 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 data analysis uh, um, work, but I do like to. Uh, I would like to to, to continue uh, my uh, my research, and this, this 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 is I guess something that I would have to do in my free time. But uh, guess what? I think um, in the current state of the higher education, I'll probably have more time for my research outside of academia than inside academia. With last summer, I spent three and a half weeks on research. Uh, on average, I work more than 50 hours a week teaching, right? Uh, but I only kept, get paid 30, right? So um, all my uh, free uh, um, time I put into into research, that, that comes on top of the, the, the 50 hours. So this year, I only spent, I could only spend three and a half weeks, and that's or last year, 2022. That is not enough uh, to, to strengthen your research profile, to become more competitive on the, on the academic job market. Um, so I guess the... the, the, the it's, I guess, telling of the, 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 the poor state of, of higher education um, that um, if in, in, in jobs out of, outside of academia, I will have, you know, plenty of time to work on my autobiography, you know, or learn how to play violin or learn, learn how to climb and I, uh, uh, or, or, you know, c- uh, continue on uh, conducting uh, research. Yeah, I w- I'd love to, uh, I'd love to um, continue uh, doing that it's you know it's my passion it's um it, it drives my teaching you know i love to teach um but it's only because i i, I love the research that drives my uh, my uh, my teaching it's not something that uh, that i will uh, ever be able to to let go you can really feel that in the lectures you give it's been a pleasure having you in this podcast and uh, in the classes of uh, political institutions and uh, others and we thank you once again for being here uh, it's been great and uh, yeah i think we're ready to say goodbye uh, i hope the future looks great for you and uh, yeah thank you that's very kind of you javier moritz thank you for the invitation thank you. Goodbye. keep in touch bye bye take care bye. Hey. Bye-bye.